passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another Baseball America Draft podcast. I'm Carlos Colazzo, joined by Peter Flaherty, and we are here to break down the National League Central 2023 draft classes. So, Peter, what's been going on with you, man, before, before we get into these these drafts? How you doing? Good. I'm doing well. Excited, as always, to break down another division, another uh, five draft classes with you have been... Doing well on the fantasy football side. I'm 2-0, and which I'm happy about. Uh, it doesn't matter that it's an A-team league. I'll take 2-0 and any day. And then I've been, uh, unfortunately, dealing with BC football. Although they did take, they did play FSU really well, and I'm, I'm sucked back in. But uh, they said it 1-2, and two, um, but I'm happy about my fantasy team. Well, your fantasy team is doing better than mine. In my two leagues, I am collectively 1-3. And in the league that I'm uh, really into, uh, 0-2. So that's not been great. I need Bryce Young to be a little bit better. And it seems like I'm great at picking the absolute worst starters uh, possible. So we have like massive benches. And I I just always am putting the wrong guys in, clearly. So it's not great for me. Um, In terms of football, I did go to a UNC football game recently, which is it's been a while. And they did beat Minnesota. So that was kind of cool. And I got to see a few players who, who actually came from our county who were on uh, the UNC team playing. So that was that was kind of fun to see. But um, There we go. Mostly, yeah, that was good. But I'm mostly excited about the MLB at this point. We're kind of in the most fun time of the year maybe. Like the anticipation for the playoffs is starting. And there are a few, maybe one decent uh, playoff race. But um, the final days of the regular season is always fun to see who sneaks in and uh, maybe tonight I'll be able to see Ronald Acuna Jr. hit 40 home runs because he's uh, the Braves are in are in Washington tonight, so I could I could easily jet over there. So I'm hoping to make that happen. Yeah, you mentioned that. I am now extra pulling for Acuna to do it tonight, um, given that you'll be in attendance. And yeah, like you said, with the last week and a half of the regular season, there's really nothing better than September baseball, especially when there are a couple of good wild card races going on. You have mm. uh, the Rangers and the Mariners and the AL, and then you've got the Marlins and the Cubs jostling, um, and the Reds jostling for that third wild card spot in the NL. The Giants at this point, I think, are very much on the outside looking in three games back at this point. Um, but a couple of fun races to follow, and then the postseason is the postseason. Uh, if you're a yep. baseball fan and listening to this, you know why the postseason's so great. But every single pitch, you're kind of sitting on the edge of your seat. Every pitch matters. 
so much more. Um, it's a really, really intense and fun high stakes environment. So we're getting into a, a very exciting time of the year. Yeah, absolutely. That's going to be fun to see. Um, but yeah, let's jump into our draft classes today. So we've got the NL Central today to break down a bit of an odd order this year, just given what the Cardinals have done in terms of how we'll go through it. But we'll start with the Brewers. They're at the top of the division, have been a really strong club all year. They were picking kind of in the back half uh, of the middle third of the draft. That I certainly overcomplicated where they were picking. They're picking 18th. That's significantly more clear than, than I made it seem like it was. Um, but in the first round this year, they took Brock Wilkin, a third baseman, out of Wake Forest. They had a supplemental pick uh, at number 33 overall. They took high school right-hander Josh Noth there. In the second round, they took Nebraska Omaha third baseman Mike Bove. In the third round, they took California shortstop Eric Batanti. In the fourth round, they took Florida Gulf Coast right-handed pitcher Jason Woodward. And in the fifth round, they took uh, junior college right-handed pitcher Ryan Burchard. Um, So we get one of our maybe polarizing or interesting college third basemen that we talked about a number of times throughout the spring, Peter, leading off this draft class. Uh, But what are your thoughts on on Milwaukee's group here? I, I think I labeled it as physical hitters or large hitters and pitchers with spin it seemed like all all the hitters they took were just physical players and all of their pitchers had some ability to spin the baseball it definitely seems like something they value in milwaukee but what are your thoughts on this draft class it's an interesting class and i think that wilkin and bovey are are pretty similar build wise wilkin's a little bigger and i think a little more athletic looking um than bovey is but they're two drastically different players when it comes to what they profile as um, with Wilkin, obviously the calling card is his big time raw power. He's shown it off um, early on for the Brewers. He's hit his way to double a kind of uh, referencing what we did last week with the NL East and Yo-Yo Morales. They, we compared Yo-Yo Morales and Brock Wilkin um, this past spring and they've each gotten a double a um, each have shown relatively well Um but with Wilkin, again, it's it's big-time raw power to all fields. Um, the approach has actually been solid. He's just swinging and missing a little bit. Uh, I think that with Wilkin, the biggest question is where he's going to end up positionally long-term. Is he going to be able to stick at third? Is he going to slide over to first base? Um, so far, he's played most of the time at third base. They're going to use him at third base for as long as they can. I, I know that for a fact. Um but again, he's he's shown really well. I think that the approach, again, it improved year to year in college, and it's still improving in professional baseball, which has been really positive to see. And then with Bovey, um, again, physical build, but he's going to have to really, really hit. I think it's below a tick below average raw power right now. Um, struggling in high A, but I think that he'll adjust. There's a really good wood wood bat track record there too with Bovey outstanding summer in the Northwoods league two years ago was a Cape all-star in 2022. Um, I, I know from watching him that he can absolutely handle quality pitching. Um, but there, there were some struggles in high a, but I, again, I feel confident in his ability to adapt. It's a, a very much contact oriented profile is an 88 overall percent contact rate at Omaha with 92% in zone contact rate. Um, and there isn't a ton of chase, which I think is encouraging. Like you've seen the ball well, 
Um, he's just missing it. And again, high A, especially in the Midwest League, um, it is very, very good baseball and a very tough non-hitter friendly league. So with Bovey, I, I think that he'll um, he'll end up doing well. And the key for him is going to have to be he'll he'll need to hit his way to the big leagues, which. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I think that's a guy that you can feel reasonably confident and they wouldn't have used a second round pick on him if they didn't. Yeah, two offensive oriented college profiles. I agree with you on, on pretty much across the board with both. I do think I probably think Wilkin is going to be a first baseman in the long run, barring some pretty significant improvements with him defensively at third. So seeing the approach carry over into pro ball, seeing him continue to walk at a higher rate. I think is encouraging if you feel like most of his value is going to have to come from the bat. That's good. Um, if he's if he's giving some OBP uh, with that raw power that he has, I have no questions about the raw power with him. Uh, I do wonder what sort of pure hitter he's going to wind up being. So if you can add on that just foundation of on-base skills and, and help out the consistency of his at-bats, I think that'll uh, be really encouraging. But they took these college hitters and kind of sandwiched in between and behind them. A few high upside young high school prospects. Uh, Josh Noth was a pretty steady riser throughout the spring. I think some of the best fields to spin a breaking ball in the high school class. Uh, his curveball and slider both have a chance to be plus pitches. Um, he can spin them near 3,000 RPMs. He's, he's earned some 70 grades on the breaking balls. It's like low 90s to 96. He's touched 98 before. It's not the biggest frame, but it's a pretty simple operation. He repeats well. Just a lot of really positive indicators. We have above average control on him in the future. So if he's able to actually hit on that uh, projection for the control grade with that sort of breaking ball, that's a really fun and exciting pitch. I like the fact that Milwaukee seemed to be willing to take a couple of risky profiles. I think any high school right-handed pitcher probably qualifies for that and and certainly Eric Batanti does as well in the third round. Quite a bit more physical than Noth was. Again, I mentioned how, how physical all their hitters seem to be. But he was one of the youngest players in the class. But he certainly doesn't look like that. He six foot five, 230 pounds. A ton of raw power from the left side. Um, a pretty impressive athlete for his size as well. The fact that he was drafted as a shortstop, again, I've, again I feel like I've mentioned this every single time we've had one of these podcasts, Peter, but there are a number of players who I don't anticipate being shortstops who were selected as shortstops, and Batanti has gotten a few innings there in pro ball. I think he's probably going to be a corner guy in the long run, but he certainly has the power to profile there. Uh, it'll just be a matter of how good is the hit tool with Batanti. He'd shown some swing and miss issues at times. There's some length to the swing. There may be some holes that can get created there offensively, but he is quite young, um, so I imagine he'll be a guy who they give a little bit more time to to figure things out and adjust to the pro game. Um, but I think this is a nice kind of complement of high high upside high school players with some some college bats that maybe you can feel a little bit safer with around them. Yeah, and and Josh Knott's a guy that I really fell in love with as did essentially everyone I think, but I really liked I, I, he really grew on me in the 2023 draft cycle you mentioned. Um, up to 98 with two plus breaking balls, the ability for him at, at his age and at this stage to be able to control really all of his offerings and, and have a, a legit above average control is pretty rare nowadays for, for a high school arm. Um, and I think again, the strike throwing ability combined with the stuff 
is a very, very intriguing combination. He's got an electric arm, um, super, super quick arm, uh, as you said, repeats his operation while well. I like the upside. And then going back to the college, um, the college side, they took a couple of college arms in the fourth and fifth, respectively, in Jason Woodward and Ryan Burchard. Um, Woodward, a right-hander from Florida Gulf Coast, and Burchard, a right-hander from Niagara County Community College. Uh, Woodward missed most of the 2023 season with an injury uh, for Gulf Coast. Fastball B, 91-94, plays really well at the top of the zone. There's a ton of carry with it. Um, and then the calling card with him is his changeup, which is a legit plus pitch. It just kind of falls off the table two to three feet from the plate slider and breaking ball. It's a little iffy. I'd say it's about average. Um, but again, I think that it's a safer fourth, fifth starter type guy down the road. And then with Burchard, I'm really interested to see how they develop him in Milwaukee, especially with their track record of developing these guys with thunderous stuff i'd say it's a very obvious reliever profile at least right now with burchard but he's been up to 98 99 um with a with a slider that's looked good um i i i think that again it's super relievery but and and it's hard to compare anyone to jacob mizorowski but um you kind of see what milwaukee's done with these higher upside guys and it's hard not mm. to be excited about his effectiveness even out of the back end of the bullpen um, down the road, even as a two-pitch guy. Yeah, absolutely. One of the other high school players they took on day two is Cooper Pratt. The the Brewers kind of took the strategy where they underslotted a lot of their first few players and pushed money towards later high school picks like Batonti in the third and then Cooper Pratt in the sixth. He signed for just over $1.3 million in the sixth round for an overslot bonus that was over a million entirely. Batanti was overslot almost a million as well. Um, they pushed some savings to day three as well. We might get into some day three guys. But Cooper Pratt, I thought, was a really fun pick in the sixth round. He had some of the best pure like plate discipline and contact ability in the class. His end zone contact rate throughout a pretty lengthy high school career that we have data for was tremendous. I mean, his miss rate on end zone pitches was just 6%. Uh, he doesn't chase out of the zone too frequently. Just makes a lot of contact, a lot of good swing decisions. And so far in pro ball, uh, it's not a massive sample, um, just 54 plate appearances, but he'd hit well, 356, 426, 444. Um, maybe even a little higher strikeout rate than I would have expected for someone like him. Um, but I, I think that's a fun one. I like the tools across the board. It's it's solid average or better, I think, across the board. Curious to see if he can stick at shortstop. Maybe he'll have a chance to, but he is a little bit bigger for the position. I think his actions might wind up being better for for maybe third base or second base in the future. But it's a good arm, so maybe that'll help him stay on the left side of the infield. But overall, very solid tools, and I I just like the traits of his hitting ability and his batting eye offensively. So that was one of the more fun, I would say, like post-top five-round picks in, in the draft overall. Yeah, without a doubt. And there are a couple arms, um, one on day two, one on day three, that that I'm a, a fan of or at least intrigued by. Greg Yoho in the eighth is one, and he's really just a finished product at this point. Um, pretty old for the class. He's going to turn 24 in almost a month to the day, I think. Um, but he's a junk baller through and through, very relievery. Uh, throws his fastball only 40% of the time, but change up curveball and slider, I think, 
Um, they're just obviously distinct offerings. He's two distinct breaking balls. Um, they each had miss rates over 55% in school. Um, only through two and two thirds of the complex this spring. He'll be an interesting one to follow or excuse me, this past summer. And then Bishop Letson is uh, an upside play in the 11th who I think that they bought down. Um, but he's someone I think that provides big time um, upside and really good clay to mold. Um, he moves super well. It's an electric arm speed. Um, fastball is 92, 94 with a lot more coming. He's never really had a pitching coach growing up. So he's still a little raw. Um, and it's outstanding clay. It's two, two quality off speed offerings. Um, I think that he's someone that could really pop. Yeah. I really like a lot of the arms they took on day three. You mentioned Letson. I think Bjorn Johnson is another sort of projectable arm they took and, and spent a lot of money to get on day three. He signed for $420,000. Letson signed for $482,000. Uh, I think Letson has a little less now stuff even than, uh, or excuse me, Johnson has a little bit less now stuff than, than Letson does. He's kind of a funky slot from the left side, almost fully sidearm at times. Uh, I think that creates some deception, but it also creates some inconsistency with his breaking ball. Uh, the changeup in the past has at least been the more consistent secondary for him. But I think he's a fascinating arm. And then one of the other pitchers I really loved them taking on day three uh, is Jacob Golston. Now, they didn't sign Golston, so I don't want to spend too much time on him. But he very quickly became one of my like personal cheese balls in this draft class. I think he has a phenomenal frame. I think he's got a really nice delivery, a fast arm. I think it's been like 88 to 93 I think there's going to be more fastball velocity to come in the future. The secondaries need a little bit more refinement as well. But I really just love the way this looks on the mound. He's going to Oklahoma now, and I think he's definitely going to be a like pick-to-click for me in a few years. I can't wait to see what he does in college. So it would have been nice if they signed him, but I think starting off with, with two arms like Letson and Johnson on day three is, is pretty exciting enough as well. I was going to say, I know Golson, even talking through this spring, he was one of your favorite guys on the high school circuit and yeah, and i'm just falling in love with the video with him <laughs> and i know that he i i think that he's a guy that again is gonna really um pop at oklahoma i'm excited to see what he does um after three years in college yeah any other uh other players you want to mention with the brewers before we move on i think it's a, a pretty well balanced class there's some interesting bats there's some interesting arms not a ton of players that i feel confident in that are going to be up the middle players but certainly a few shortstops that have a chance but i do think it's it's solid for a team that is such a good pitching development group to have some of the arms and, and arm talent that they got in this class particularly further down the board I like yeah that. i i think i agree with that assessment i think i'm more overall even with the headliners positionally with wilkin and bovey and and batanti i think i'm more of a fan of the arms especially given the developmental aspect um again mark going back to date there are a lot of these guys on day two or day three that they have a chance to look really smart on um mark manfredi's another one that i thought looked really good on the cape um 16 k's to four walks and 13 innings uh era uh, just a tick over two was up to 94 this fastball that had plenty of life to it um i thought the breaking ball was a quality off-speed offering just um not the the biggest names that they necessarily drafted um, but guys that I think that have a chance to really pan out. So uh, I think a lot of fun arms to follow. Yeah, definitely. And then moving on to the Cubs, who are next up 
in the NL Central. They took a little bit of a different direction, a lot more hitter-friendly in this class. But I'll quickly run through their top five round picks. In the first round, at number 13 overall, they took Maryland shortstop Matt Shaw. Uh, with a comp pick after the second round, they took Arkansas right-handed pitcher Jackson Wiggins. In the third round, they took Florida shortstop Josh Rivera, one of the best senior signs in the class. In the fourth round, they took South Carolina right-handed pitcher Will Sanders. And then in the fifth round, they took Davidson catcher Michael Carrico. So it was very hitter heavy. It gets even more hitter heavy as we move down the draft. I guess the first five picks aren't exactly hitter heavy. Pretty good balance up top. But college heavy early on. Um, a few interesting Puerto Rican prospects after that. And obviously Matt Shaw, on top of just being a, a prominent and obvious first round talent in his own right, has been really tremendous in pro ball i think you could say that he had one of the better pro debuts of anyone in this class a 357 400 618 average moving to double a uh ton of power already eight arm runs four triples nine doubles in just 170 plate appearances and he's also continuing to add that speed that he always showed in college as well so the power speed combo from maryland has translated very nicely early on to pro ball peter where are you at with this cubs draft class I like it, and it, a lot of that hinges on the Matt Shaw pick, who is a personal favorite of mine. You touched on it, but, I mean, he's raking so far. He's hit his way to double-A, where he showed well in 15 games for Tennessee. He hit two ninety two with four doubles, three home runs, and you mentioned I think he's an above-average borderline-plus runner at this point, and I think his running ability and base running ability is enhanced by his – outstanding baseball IQ. He's a baseball rat through and through. He really understands the game. Um, the makeup is off the charts and the intangibles, I think, contribute to, you know, obviously the baseball sense. And then it he, he swings a super quick bat. There's impact to all fields. I think it's above average raw power with a plus hit tool. Um, he's going to probably be a second baseman long term, which, again, I think is is more than okay. One with with second base becoming more of a premium position, I'd say, um, at least with a legitimate second baseman. Um, and then also with how much he's going to hit and has already hit, I think that um, he'll more than make up for, you know, maybe not sticking at shortstop. And mm. I, I think that it's uh, outstanding bat to ball. A lot of good traits that have translated well to professional baseball so far. He dominated the Cape League last summer. Um, and he really hasn't stopped since then. And I think that he's got a chance to be in the big leagues, you know, at some point next season at this rate. Yeah, it's been a pretty, pretty exceptional start. I, I think it's really encouraging, too, that the power has translated. I know there was some skepticism of his amateur power numbers just because Maryland is generally viewed as a, a pretty nice place to hit. Uh, but what always stood out to me about Shaw specifically is just the strength he has and his his wrists and his forearms, he has like surprisingly impressive raw power. And to see that translate to wood is encouraging. You mentioned the questions about his defensive role. He has played 10 games at second base and 20 games at shortstop. And I think even prior to the draft, most people expected him to move to second base. That'd be more of a natural fit for his defensive tools. And, and I think, like you said, it's probably going to be fine for him, given what he's going to do for you offensively, given the speed he can provide, the power he can provide. Uh, and second base is not exactly a uh, bottom-of-the-scale defensive spectrum position. So I think they'll be more than happy with what he's able to do for them in the middle of the infield. A few interesting arms they took after that, and I guess the Rivera pick is interesting because he is sort of this post-hype prospect who was very well-regarded coming out of high school, had a lot of expectations early on at Florida, never really had everything click, dealt with some injuries 
for a few years, even going back to high school, I remember watching him play with the Florida Burn travel ball team at Jupiter. I think this was his entering his senior year, his senior spring. And he really powered that team to a championship. And I was kind of impressed with his ability to hit to the opposite field. And then this year, it seems like he broke out and, and kind of the way everyone was expecting him to once he went to Florida. It was a pretty tremendous year, hit 348, 447, 617, 19 homers, better walk and strikeout rate than he'd shown before. And he's been a pretty solid defender at shortstop as well. So he's maybe one of the more interesting players in this draft class, just given his his pedigree as a prospect, his status as a senior, and his performance this spring. Um, and then he's sandwiched in between two arms that uh, dealt with injuries and dealt with um, lack of performance. But I'm curious what you think about all these three college players. Yeah, I, I think touching on Rivera first, obviously he had the career year at Florida, and and you mentioned the his prospect status or you know draft stock, so to speak, has been a little bit of a roller coaster. Um, was one of the more, I'd say, fast or prominent risers um, in the 2023 draft cycle, at least on the college side. I think that coming into this year, um, he was viewed as like maybe a late day two, early day three type of guy. Um, and, you know, so far, so good. The early returns in in um, in affiliated baseball, it's big time bat speed. It's borderline violent. Um, which at, at Florida, it was fine. It played well. Um, there wasn't a ton of swing and miss, but so far, at least professionally, there's, I'd say he's having his fair share of swing and miss. He's the approach has been, I, I'd say fine, but, uh, he is missing a lot. So, um, I think that that's going to be something to refine going forward, but he has shown impact to all fields. Like you said, um, it's impressive how he can drive the ball into the, into the right center field gap. But, um, it's especially solid impact to the pull side and he's going to stick on the left side of the infield. So I think refining the, the operation a bit at the plate and toning it down is going to go, is going to go a long way for Rivera long-term. Yeah, definitely. And then we've got Jackson Wiggins, who was the first pitcher they took signed him for 1.4 million and Will Sanders who signed for 600,000, maybe a bit of a fall from grace for Will Sanders, given the expectations he had entering the year, we had him as, one of the top college pitchers in the class entering the year. And I just think he's a guy who's never really performed as much as the pure stuff you would expect of him. He posted a 5.37 ERA over 11 starts and 60 innings, a 27% strikeout rate, 28% strikeout rate, 9.4% walk rate. The velocity is solid. There's carry on the fastball, but it's always played down a bit from that uh, velo and, and movement than you would expect. I mean, maybe it's a guy that just doesn't have great deception. I know that he's tinkered with uh, getting a little bit of movement on that fastball, whether that's two seam or, or trying to get a little cut action. Um, but there's interesting pure stuff and physicality to work with here. It's a six foot five, six foot six uh, right-handed pitcher who can get his fastball into the upper nineties. But I think you probably need a little bit more command or a little bit more movement on the fastball to really help everything else click. But where are you at with Sanders? Yeah, I'm I'm with you on um with Wiggins at the very least. It's premium velo, super quick arm, change of slash plus. I think the the breaking ball has been inconsistent at best. And like you said, um there's gonna be stuff to clean up um for at least me and I think that for the player development people also to be convinced that he's a starter long term um is coming off Tommy John. But Will Sanders um in the fourth, I, I think that 
coming into the 2023 season, at least early in the draft cycle, he was viewed as a potential top half, top 20 overall pick um, in the entire draft. And he wasn't, he was inconsistent at South Carolina. The bad for Sanders was, was really bad. Um, But the good was, I mean, you saw why he had that top half of the first round buzz. It's a big league body, six, six, pretty durable. Um, fastballs, 92, 94, up to a five and a six. I think that the biggest thing for him is going to be improving the fastball shape and getting more misses with it because the breaking ball, it, he says he throws a slider and a curveball, or at least it's labeled as such. It kind of blends shape at times, but yeah. regardless of what it is, I, I think it's a plus pitch. The chainup's also an above average borderline plus pitch. The key for him is just going to be getting more misses with the fastball because I think if he can unlock just a, a little bit of a better movement profile, um, it's going to go a very, very long way, and and he's going to be able to hit his ceiling, which I think is is relatively high. I think he'd be a quality three three starter going forward. Yeah, definitely. Moving past some of these college players up top, uh, we get to Alfonso Rosario and Yahil Melendez. I think I said they took a pair of Puerto Rican players later on. That was a mistake by me. Uh, Rosario is, is from the Dominican Republic, even though he transferred to a South Carolina school for the 2023 season. But both he and Yahil Melendez are interesting projection players. I think there are going to be questions with both of their offensive approaches. Uh, Alfonso has been a little bit pull-happy, a little bit aggressive with his swing decisions, a little bit of... Uh, just contact questions in general. Melendez is not quite as physical now as maybe he needs to be in the future, so he's going to need to add some power, um, add a little bit of impact if he can in the future. Uh, but he, he should be able to fill out his frame. Rosario is more of this like tool shed who has interesting speed, massive arm strength, lots of raw power. So if he can improve and refine that offensive approach, you might have something with him. Melendez is more of a like savvy defensive shortstop who probably is going to stick at the position needs to just get a little bit stronger, a little bit faster in the future to maybe add some impact to his profile overall. But I I like these two picks here, especially considering they're just college heavy early on. I like adding a little bit more risk and potential upside to the, the package here. Uh, But, but who else do you like moving on past the, uh, the top guys of the class, I guess. Yeah, so it's weird to kind of say, like, to talk about a draft class like this, but I'm a huge, huge fan of what the Cubs did in rounds, like, I'd say 8 to 18, even even until the end of the draft. I think that they have mm. a chance to, to hit on a ton of the guys that they selected. I think starting with Brett Bateman, um, center fielder out of Minnesota, he really improved his stock. Um, with a brief stint on the Cape, he hit 500, and it was a legit 500. It wasn't an, mm-hmm. an 8 for 16. 500, he was 25 for 50. Bat to ball skills and approach with Bateman are the calling card. He's a really tough guy to beat. Um, he's a, I, I'd say he turned in 70-grade run times when I saw him on the Cape. Um, he's an outstanding defender in center field. It's an average or a tick below arm. But the the routes that he takes to the baseball – um, and just the ability to defend in general, it's going to allow him to stick at the position long-term and make up maybe for the lack of arm speed or make arm strength rather. Um, and again, you kind of look for player comps maybe early on in the draft as to who he's similar to. I guess you could maybe call him like a budget Enrique Bradfield um, in a sense. And I know that's 
a bit lofty, but I I think that Bradfield's well, I don't obviously. Think it is. Had... I think it's an interesting comp because we also had Victor Scott a year ago, who you could say the same thing about in terms of his prospect type, and has actually been quite good. So I think this is a profile that teams have shown an ability to get at like value ranges that actually can be a, a pretty solid picks for them. So I really like that comp. Yeah, and getting him for 180 in the eighth, I think, is a huge win. And and on top of just the raw speed, he's a guy, again, similar to Shaw, where the baseball sense is really off the charts. He knows how to run. He's a real student of the game. Um, it, it's, again, very, very hit over power. He's going to have to, again, um, hit his way to the big leagues. But so far, hit over 300 if you include the playoffs for Myrtle Beach. Walked more than he struck out. Defensively, he looked really, really good. Covers a ton of ground in either gap. I think that this is someone that they're going to have a chance to to look smart on and hit on because I think that um, he is a he is an eventual big leaguer. And then looking further down the board, um, Carter Trice in the twelfth for one fifty was super famous after his true freshman year at Old Dominion, um, and then fell off a little bit sophomore year. Played inconsistently this year at NC State um in his junior year but he he switched from the outfield switched from the infield to the outfield where i i think it's a 55 arm from right um on the infield it was a little bit stiff the actions weren't great and then you kind of almost have him breathe a little bit and exhale a bunch in the outfield where he can just kind of run around let it rip with a throwing arm it's legit plus raw power um which i know might be deceiving with his frame um, he's turning above average run times. I think that, I mean, there's wood bat track record there. Um, I think that he's a very interesting one in the 12th. And then again, looking further down, Daniel Brown from Campbell um, became a famous, somewhat famous name. I think this yeah. year, um, just like a super viral guy as a left-hander up to a hundred. I mean, I, I don't want to mince words here, but the command and control right now, are probably a, a 10, um yes, but very is definitely is safe to say daniel brown is maybe one of the widest variance players i would say in the entire draft just given where the pitchability is now the fact that he barely pitched at all for campbell in his career barely pitched at all this spring he threw just a single inning he walked of the <laughs> i mentioned this previously but he faced let me make sure i have the numbers right in front of me he faced 12 batters he walked nine of them. He struck out three. Um, <laughs> so that, like, if you, I think that you might be able to see, like, MLB Draft Combine video of him, but I was at the Combine, and behind the little uh, screen they put up behind the plate, just getting video of all the pitchers. And throughout this bullpen period, there would be people with cameras, like, kind of getting on the edge of that fence trying to get clear video so you didn't have to shoot through the net uh for a number of pitchers and it was fine and and daniel brown took them out i was like all right we gotta we gotta be careful here and get fully behind the net someone with mlb started like inching out and getting outside of it and i was like hey like this is not the pitcher that you want to do that with you might want to like watch out like get behind this thing <laughs> as he's starting to move daniel just lets one rip comes comes by like behind the left-handed batter's box right beside the net and just nails this guy right in the side. And I was like, man, he took like 92 to the gut. I was like, that cannot possibly feel good right about now. But Daniel Brown has massive arm talent and basically next to no feel for pitching. And he's extremely fascinating because of that. So I hope they're able to 
work with him a little bit and, and just find the zone. Yeah, I mean, in the 16th round, like, how many lefties are available yearly that are 98 to 100, 6'4", good-looking body with, with a quick arm? I, I'd say it's really hardly ever happened. So, I mean, mm-hmm. at that point, I think it's worth worth it to take a flyer on someone like that. Um, I agree. But I bet actually on... think a lot, of this, a lot of this Cubs draft class feels like just acquiring a lot of talent, a lot of stuff, a lot of tools, and hoping that your player development can refine some of the warts. I think outside of Matt Shaw, you probably could could point out a wart or two with a number of the players they took in this draft, but there is a lot of athleticism. There's a lot of tools. There's a lot of power. There's a lot of just stuff to work with. So I feel like this draft class has a lot of risk baked into it. And if you feel confident in player development, just improving these players, you could end up with a lot of really good players. And if they're not able to do that, uh, there are a lot of like obvious paths to failure I could see as well. So it's, it's a fun class to watch unfold for those reasons. Yeah. And, and, and with guys like Daniel Brown, like no one's going to knock anyone for missing on a 16th rounder. It's like, okay, the worst thing that happens is, you know, the, the strike throwing doesn't go along, come along and, and you can't really, improve the command and and you know i think that's a risk that's well worth taking and then going down even a few more picks um a guy that has so far been a huge hit is 18th round pick brian calmer um from gonzaga again pretty old uh finished product more or less physically um but lit the world on fire in myrtle beach at 358 with five doubles a pair of triples um, 10 home runs and 40 RBIs in, in 32 games, I believe it was. Barrel really explodes through the strike zone, hits against the closed front side. Um, there's really no stride or load. It, I, if you look up video on Twitter for those listening, you'll see what I mean. Um, he's kind of already loaded. It's like the, the head of the bat is more or less pointed towards the mound, um, and he's got kind of that lifted up heel, closed front side, um, and – and it's big time bat speed and, and it, it, it explodes through the hitting zone. I think it's, it's plus power. Um, and it's serious, serious impact. He's looking like a right, right first baseman. And for guys with that type of profile, they're going to have to really hit. And so far, Brian Calmer is really, really hitting. Um, yeah. so again, that's a guy that you don't spend a lot of money on. You sign him for $50,000 and, um, you're looking really smart so far. So, mm-hmm. Um, uh, a really interesting class in general for the Cubs. I think that I'm a, a pretty big fan of it. Um, and there are going to be a lot of fun guys to follow going forward. Yeah, absolutely. And even after Calmer, I think guys like Nick Dean in the 19th round, like he makes sense as a day three sort of senior sign, given his pitch ability for pitch mix. Like there's not a lot of overwhelming pure stuff there, but he's been a solid arm. Drew Bowser could be an interesting project. Again, if player development can get the most out of him, there's, there's a lot of physicality there. There's a lot of raw, raw power. If they can help the strikeouts a little bit, help improve the contact a little bit, I think you might have an interesting player there. So really, from round one to round 20, there's a lot to like. Um, and yeah, seeing seeing how these players develop, I think, will be the key. I mean, this is this is the key for every class, but I just think there's a lot of volatility and a lot of upside in this class as well. So it should be a fun one. Let's move on to our next group. That is the Cincinnati Reds. Um, they've had a, a phenomenal year relative to expecta- expectations entering the season. They were picking top 10. They had the seventh overall pick 
and they selected right-handed pitcher Rhett Louder out of Wake Forest, one of the better performing arms in the entire country. Uh, they had a supplemental pick in at 38 overall. They took right-handed pitcher Ty Floyd out of LSU. In the second round, they took high school shortstop Sammy Stafura. In the third round, they took Arkansas left-handed pitcher Hunter Holland. In the fourth round, they took another high school right-handed or another high school player. This time, a right-handed pitcher Cole Schoenwetter. And then in the fifth round, they took Long Beach State catcher Connor Burns, who was perhaps the best defensive catcher in the country last year. Uh, so nice mix of demographics here for the Reds. Obviously, they had access to some pretty good talent with a top 10 pick and a second pick before the, the second round started. What are your thoughts on them going with kind of high-performing college pitchers early on, Peter? I mean, Rhett Lauder, obviously, uh, people all know him, but Ty Floyd is maybe one of the the best examples of like a late surging prospect given his performance in the, the college world series. Yeah. I, I like going out and getting two really high end college performing pitchers um, with your first two picks. Rhett louder, I think is where they got him. I think is a very, very safe bet and a guy that you can feel pretty comfortable with um, being at, at least a somewhat of an impact big league arm. Um, legit plus command of all of his offerings. Um, it doesn't, he doesn't have the premium velocity as some of the other arms in this draft, but he's 92 to 95 will rear back for a six with the fastball um, spots it well to either side of the plate. The changeup with louder has long been his calling card um, as a legit plus, maybe borderline double plus pitch. Um, and then the slider this year took a nice step forward. I think that it established itself as a plus offering for louder and again, it, he, he commanded it well, and, and he was able to spot up with it. So I think that's a guy that, again, he didn't throw it all this year. I know that they assigned him to, I think, um, to, uh, to high A, but he never threw. Um, I think that... I think that's smart, too. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm totally with you. After what he did at Wake, um, I think he threw 120 innings. Um, it was very smart to shut him down, so... I think that's a guy that can progress reasonably quick and you'll probably see him in the big leagues by Hmm. 2025 or so. And then with Floyd, you know, we talk about all the time guys making their stock in the postseason in Omaha. And I think that Floyd is another great example of that. I think that regardless, he would have probably gone in the top maybe four to five rounds, three to five rounds. Um, But that start, um, the 17 strikeout start against Florida was one of the most impressive, maybe like there's an argument to be made there that it was the most impressive pitching performance, um, in college world series history. Um, obviously the calling card with Floyd is his fastball. It's four to seven. It absolutely explodes out of his hand, tons of run and ride through the zone. I mean, he could signal it to hitters and they'd still um, <laughs> swing under it. It's, I mean, that's, it's what, a, that's what he did. I'd say the entirety of his sophomore year uh, or, or last year. I don't know if he was, this was his draft eligible sophomore year, but I feel like a year ago it was 90% right. And it was still a really effective pitch. It wasn't quite that extreme this year, but yeah, to your point, one of the better fastballs in terms of just velocity and life you could find in the class. Yeah. I'm a huge, again, like huge fan of the shape. And it, at least in that Omaha start, he could have absolutely signaled it to a really good Florida lineup and he would have gotten the same swing and miss more mm-hmm. or less. So um, slider and the breaking ball is a little inconsistent. I think if, if he can get it to be a solid average offering, that'll be key. Um, and then the change up flash plus. So 
again, you, I, I think that there's a lot to be said for these college guys that perform on the biggest stages under the brightest lights. Louder again went toe to toe with Skeens. I think that that is a very, I think it's, I think it's viewed higher now by by those that are drafting. But I think it's a very underrated quality to look at in in kind of how they perform on the highest level. Mm. Um, so I, I'm a I'm a big fan of the top two picks. Yeah, I agree. And what I like maybe most about the top two picks for the Reds specifically is it really seemed like they paired talent that made sense at the pick with organizational needs. They have a lot of hitters in the organization. They have a lot of infielders. I think regardless of how the draft was going to unfold in front of seven, they would have found a good way to address an organizational need with just a bunch of uh, outfielders in front. But they did get louder. I think at that stage, you you basically are choosing from louder and then you've got also dolander and noble meyer who you could pick from the reds opted to go for i would say maybe the safest pitcher of that group just given his performance given the fact that you really don't need to project much at all on him to be a successful big league pitcher i think he's he's pretty good at maximizing what he has now the pitchability is is phenomenal he posted all year that has to make you feel confident uh, and then after those two i was really a fan of this class because they took another guy that that i really am a fan of sammy stafura at 43 overall he was a really great performer for me last summer on the circuit showed nice hitting ability uh showed impressive defensive skill this spring he added some power he added a little bit of speed uh we had him as a plus runner at the end of the day it's probably not the pro debut that you wanted to see from stifera but i'm still pretty high on him and i'm hopeful that he can bounce back next year uh, just pulling up his numbers really quickly in 53 plate appearances he hit just uh, 071 212 190 really struggled with the strikeouts struck out 23 times walked just eight times uh, i'm hopeful that was just a little bit of uh, welcome to pro ball trying to get your bearings with him because i am and was very high on the the talent and the tools and just what he showed this year i know he's a big he was a big uh not a big riser, but a decent riser this spring, um, just given the strength and speed that he showed, the swing decisions, just the overall instincts and, and well-rounded tool set. I thought he had a chance to go late in the first round, and if not, I thought he was definitely going to, the, to go in the supplemental round. So I like the fact that the Reds were able to get him it, with their second-round pick. They signed him to an overslot deal, but just the fact that they were able to kind of bank two solid college pitchers in a class that's not really great for that demographic and then get an upside play like Stafura, I thought was solid. Yeah, and, and he was a guy that I really liked as as the cycle progressed. And I know going through the spring that there were some scouts that we talked to that had him even on the in the top 25, top 20 or so picks in, in the entire draft. Um, so a little bit of an underwhelming debut, but it's such a minuscule sample size in terms and when looking at the bigger picture. So, um, you know, hopefully he can figure it out. And then again, Hunter Holland in the third, they really went, I, I think, call it, well, not I think, I mean, they went college heavy arm, call it, yeah, college arm heavy at the top. Mm-hmm. Um, Holland, again, it's not premium velo, it's it's more, you know, 89, 92 with the fastball, but it's two distinct breaking balls, um, was really good for Arkansas this year. I think that it's a nice, potentially back end of the rotation piece, um, fifth starter type uh, long term. I think if he can get a little bit more, um, swing and miss with the fastball that'd be key and and again don't get me wrong they're not they're not drafting hunter holland off one start but you talk about guys performing on big stages he went toe-to-toe with paul Skeens um back in march at the box in a really big series he threw 
five and a third shutout innings and, and punched out seven. Um, so again, they're not drafting him off that one start by any means, but um, again, a guy that pitches with no fear. I know going into that, he pitched with a chip on his shoulder too. So um, hides the ball really well. It gets on hitters quick. Um, I think again, it's a, the, the floor with him is, is relatively high. And then Connor Burns in the fifth, I was excited about this pick. Um, I know with Burns, obviously the calling card is the defense. It's a double plus throwing arm. He's an outstanding receiver. I think that as far as defense is concerned, he's perhaps the best defensive catcher in the entire draft class. It's just the key for him was always hitting. And he, he had his best year offensively at Long Beach this year. He hit 307 with 30 extra base hits, Um, cut down on the swing and miss a little bit. Um, But so far again, in his, pro debut in Daytona struck out 39 times in 78 plate appearances. Um, so obviously pretty, pretty high. Um, but again, I think, you know, if they can get that in check and he, and if he can literally not be an auto punch out at the plate, which unfortunately right now he kind of is, but mm. if he can not be an auto punch out at the plate, I think that the defense is going to be enough um, to have him be an everyday member of, of the lineup. Yeah, I'm I'm very high on Burns defensively. I, I agree with you. I think he's the best defensive catcher in this draft class. I think it's double plus defensive potential chance to be a Gold Glover if he's able to get enough of the plate appearances of that uh, behind the plate. Like he just does everything well behind the dish. He moves well. He frames well. He has great hands. He blocks the ball well. Uh, he can make plays out in front of the plate and foul territory. His arm is tremendous. I remember just watching him at the combine and in combine scenarios for a lot of catchers, especially high school players, there's, there's a lot of violence and they're trying to throw as hard as they can for the pop times with Burns. It was so smooth that it almost looked like it was in slow motion. Then you look down at the stopwatch and he's giving you like 1.8, 1.78 pop times and every throw is right on the bag. It's just so easy and effortless and the actions are just so pure and fluid. He is really fun to watch behind the plate. So I'm hopeful that he can just, clear the offensive bar for the position to get to the big leagues. Because if he does, I think it'll be like a little Patrick Bailey-esque almost like what Patrick Bailey has done this year as like a defense first catcher. I think, I think Bailey was regarded as a better hitter at the time. That's partially why he was a first rounder. Um, But Burns does have a little bit of power. It's just, can he get to it? Can he make enough contact? Can he stay in the zone? Um, There are another, a few other interesting up the middle players in this uh, late day two range for the Reds as well. Dominic Patelli at Miami. He had one of the better reputations as a defensive shortstop at the college level, was really not much of a bat at all through his first few years at Miami, and then really popped off in 2023 offensively, uh, showing more power than I think I ever would have expected from him. I'm trying to see. I don't I don't think I have here. Yeah, 13 home runs. I think he led all ACC shortstops in home runs with, with those 13, which I never would have guessed for him. There is some swing and miss. I don't think he's going to be a standout offensive player by any means in pro ball, but he is a reliable defender. He's got a good arm, quick transfer. Uh, so a couple of fun defense-oriented up the middle types later on day two. Yeah, it's an. In- I-, I think it's an interesting strategy going with these defensive defense-first guys and Burns and Patelli and kind of the the middle part of day two and betting on the offense to to develop and even just be serviceable. I think that it's tough, but I think with Patelli, there's more of a track record there, at least offensively where you can get him to be even like a, a 230 to 240 or so hitter 
um, with a little bit of impact. Again, similar to Burns, the strikeouts are high um, so far in, in affiliated ball. It's He's got 22 Ks and 74 bats, um, which isn't outrageous. But again, with Patelli, you mentioned the calling card is obviously the defense. It's a, a borderline double-plus armored shortstop. Really good fluid actions, range in either direction, um, comfortable throwing in from from multiple arm slots. It's, I mean, it's a big league shortstop defensively. So, I mean, if he can hit even a little bit, I think that that's a guy to to be really excited about. And if him and Burns can can both figure it out, they're gonna they're gonna look very smart getting those guys in the fifth and seventh. Hmm. Um, but sandwiched between them is a guy that has already um, started to hit, and a guy that I became a fan of. Um, throughout this spring is Virginia, former Virginia outfielder, um, Ethan O'Donnell, 6'1", 190, super, super athletic looking kid. Um, great body with some physicality, hit really well at UVA. Um, I think it's more of a, uh, a hit over power type profile long-term. Um, but again, can really run super, super athletic. I think the athleticism and actions are going to allow him to stick in center probably long-term. I know that's where he's played. Um, most, if not all of his games in Daytona, um, when he's been used positionally he's hitting, I mean, he hit for in 23 games, he hit 350 with 10 extra base hits, including four doubles and four home runs. Um, approach was there, um, swiped a few bags. I think that again, it's early, but I think that, that that's someone that you can be really, really excited about, um, as a, as a long-term impact guy in your mm-hmm. system. Yeah, he's probably been the best hitter of this class so far for the Reds. Uh, another guy who got off to a solid start as a hitter is, is a day three name that's interesting. That was their first pick on day three, Texas A&M first baseman Jack Moss. Uh, th- there were a number of first basemen in this draft class who who felt like they were more contact over power types, which is a bit odd for the position. Um, maybe Nolan Chanuel is like the, the kind of poster boy for that demographic, but Moss it was the same thing. He always showed a Solid understanding of the zone, hit for average, got on base, but never really had the sort of raw power you would expect from the position. Maybe hit the ball on the ground a little bit too often as well. And that's been kind of the case for him in pro ball too. He, he didn't homer in his first 21 games in pro ball, split between rookie ball and low A. But he did hit for average. He hit 303. He got on base at a 40% clip. He walked 14 times to 20 strikeouts. So it's an odd profile and even though he has been playing some some corner outfield, you're going to want him to hit for more power. He has the physicality and the size that, that you would expect that he can get to some. Uh, but until he starts actually showing it, I think there's going to be some skepticism that he can profile as even a part-time or an everyday guy. I mean, it's an 11th rounder for a reason. But I do think he has some solid like foundational hitting skills and OBP skills that if you can add some more bat speed, add some more power, maybe it's just a question of him getting the ball in the air more frequently uh, I think he could be an interesting kind of sleeper type on day three. And, and he got off to a solid pro debut. So it's a fun one to start with. Yeah, I, I think when we were talking about our day three sleepers, I had him circled. As you mentioned, it's a really unique profile. It's like a little bit Shanuel-esque, I guess you could say. Obviously, the the walk rate isn't nearly as high and the miss and the um, the bat-to-ball skills, I don't think, are are nearly as good as Shanuel. But um, it's a, a very much uh, hit over power first baseman um, whose approach really took massive strides um, it, throughout his time at AM. He well, 
he started as a freshman at Arizona State, hit really well. Um, I think he earned a Team USA invite, at least a camp invite. Um, and then he really exploded in his time at AM and and blossomed. Um, but as you mentioned, it's he didn't he didn't have an extra base hit in nine games in Daytona, um, but consistently put the ball in play, good feel for the barrel. Um, you kind of wish that a guy that's six five, two fifteen, left-handed hitter, first baseman. Um, had a, I'd say more power than this. I think yeah. that's going to come with, again, as you said, getting the ball up in the air. Um, but so far, you know, showing that he can see the ball well, um, can, can handle professional pitching and, and, and have a solid approach. I think that's positive. And then my other day three sleeper, um, is Simon Miller from Texas, San Antonio. Um, he was one of the better relievers in all of college baseball, I'd say. Um, this past year for the Roadrunners, uh, 2-3 ERA with 81 Ks and 70 innings. He throws a slider more than he throws his fastball. Um, fastball is up to 97. It, it kind of jumps out of the hand, and the slider was also an effective offering. I think that um, he's more at this point. Um, I mean, he's definitely a reliever long-term, so it's hard to, to, a, to a degree, get super, super excited about um, relievers, but I think that you know, in the 12th round, someone you just throw 150,000 at. Um, I think that he's got a chance to, you know, be be somewhat of an impact arm in a big league bullpen in the future. So um, another fun guy to follow. Yeah, I'll just add one more on day three. I think this is their biggest money signing on the third day. That's Kyle Henley, 14th rounder, Georgia high school outfielder. It's really raw offensively. Um, probably not a ton of impact right now, but he is a true burner. It's top of the scale running ability, 80 grade speed. I think he turned in the fastest runtime at East Coast Pro last summer. Uh, it was a 6.2 second, 60 yard time, um, which is pretty insane. So if he can get on base, he's going to be a nightmare for pitchers and catchers in this stolen base environment that we're entering at the big league level. He has the tools to be a really good defender as well, given that speed. I think even if you don't develop elite routes and reads, you can kind of outrun those less than ideal routes uh, as a center fielder. So like he, he has solid tools to be an impactful player. It's just going to come down to how how quickly can he advance offensively can he improve uh, his approach, his his ability to hit the ball to all fields? Can he add – how much strength can he add? So I think there are real questions offensively, but there are some, like, carrying tools here with the speed. So the Reds are always a team, it seems like, that really loves athleticism, and there are a number of players who kind of fit that mold in this draft class. And there are also a lot of, like, really exciting up-the-middle types who have hit questions. But if they hit on one – of those players, you could have a pretty impactful player, whether that's a Henley, whether that's a Patelli, or whether that's like a Connor Burns, uh, or even Sammy Stiffer in the second round. There are some guys who maybe have some offensive questions now, just given their background or given their pro debuts, because, again, Henley hasn't had a fantastic pro debut in a very limited sample, um, but that's another fun one on day three. Yeah, I, I think overall, I, similar to the Cubs, I'm a, I'm a fan of this class. I think that they have... Um, I mean, you hit on them. They have a handful of guys that they that have a chance to to really pan out and have a big time impact. Yeah, absolutely. And it's it's a fun young big league team now, and it seems like they've got uh, more waves coming in the future. So we'll see if they can get some pitching to complement this young position player core they've got going. Uh, but let's move on to the Pirates. Uh, obviously, with the 
number one overall pick. We were probably going to like whoever they took there. It was a bit of a, a question mark as to who they were taking leading up to the draft, but they eventually settled on LSU right-hander Paul Skeens as the 1-1, signed him to a record $9.2 million bonus. In the second round, they took Mitch Jeb, shortstop out of Michigan State. In the supplemental second round, they took high school right-handed pitcher Xander Muth. In the third round, they took Oregon State third baseman Garrett Forrester. Um, in the fourth round, they took West Virginia right-handed pitcher Carlson Reed. And then in the fifth round, they took Vanderbilt right-handed pitcher Patrick Riley. So, Peter, were were you surprised at all with the pick with Skeens? Is that the player you would have taken? And then what are your thoughts overall on Paul Skeens? Yeah, so... I- I know that the, you know, the idea of taking a pitcher number one overall, there's a lot of risk involved with it. I know that going into the draft, it was an idea and a scenario that was, I I think, somewhat frowned upon to an extent. Um, But after, you know, seeing what Skeens did and seeing him dominate again through the postseason and in Omaha, I think it became somewhat of a no brainer for the Pirates. Like, again, you know, there's risk involved with a pitcher one one, but the nine innings on the mound are gonna have to come from someone. He's as sure of a bet as you know, there's arguably ever been that you know he's gonna hold down a, a front of the rotation spot. Um, it's all-star and Cy Young type upside. Um, the intangibles again with skeins, I think that make him incredibly unique, even ability aside, is the fact that he came from a service academy. He started his career at Air Force. The mental toughness and fortitude is off the charts and I think unteachable. Um, and and Skeens has all that plus the the ability on the mound and it's 99 to 102 with the fastball. I mean, in Omaha, it looked like he was playing catch with it. Um, I know that there are some questions about the shape of the fastball. It's a little bit of a dead zone profile. I think that he found out early on in in – uh, in professional baseball again keep in mind this is after throwing almost 123 innings at lsu so he's going to be a little bit you know burnt out he dominated the complex and bradenton in his three appearances and then got hit around a little bit in double a and i mean at that stage guys can put wood on a bullet um so again i think with skeins there's really no cause for concern at all i think that mm-hmm if you're freaking out about two and two thirds innings, (laughs) it's a little bit reactionary. Like, yeah, the, the fastball shape itself um, isn't unbelievable, but I think again, it's supplemented by for my money's worth two double plus offerings in a slider and a changeup. The slider is a a borderline 80 grade offering, um, which I think it's, that's a hefty grade to stick on it. Uh, But I think it's absolutely a seven. And and so is the changeup. So Hmm. with skeins, again, you're getting, it's lofty, but I mean, you're getting Cy Young upside. Um, he's your future headliner, mm-hmm. um, and he's got a chance to be the face of at least pitchers um, in the big leagues going forward. Um, Sands, probably, you know, Shohei Otani and a couple other guys. Yeah, I mean, there's a reason why he was regarded as the best pitching prospect since Steven Strasburg. Like, everything you're saying is very lofty, but uh, these pit- these prospects do come along every once in a while, even if they're not common at all. I think the changeup is going to be really key for him moving forward, and he really didn't have to use it a ton this spring, but when he broke it out, I thought it was definitely a plus pitch, and his feel for landing that pitch I think is going to really help alleviate any concerns you might have with fastball shape. And I think 
the fastball shape is maybe the one thing you can critique with Paul Skeens, but I, th- I think sometimes we go a little bit overboard with it because that, that is the one obvious area to critique. You can't really find too many other areas where Paul Skeens has too, too many obvious flaws. I think at the same time, if you're averaging 98 miles per hour, the shape ultimately doesn't really matter too much. I think velocity is probably the most important thing than command. And then after that, if you got shape, great. He's got two of the three checked off um, in in pretty bold Sharpie there in my mind. Uh, I think he'll move exceptionally quickly. Uh, I thought he was probably the quickest to the big leagues sort of prospect before the draft. Obviously, that didn't happen because of Mr. Shanuel. Uh, but, but I think he'll move... <laughs> pretty quickly regardless i'm curious to see what what the pitch mix will look like in pro ball because i do think the changeup should be more of a factor against uh, better hitters and, and particularly against lefties where maybe i think the slider is going to be effective against batters of both sides but maybe even can especially help him versus uh, opposite side matchups so i'm really excited for him i think at one it makes a ton of sense i uh, would have been fine with really any of the top three college players at one and i'm, I'm kind of glad the pirates didn't try and get Super cute when they were working with uh, a pretty elite top of the class here with Skeens. But let's. Yeah, and, yeah go ahead. Uh, no, I was just going to add a, a couple more quick points. I think one, he's going to pitch in the big leagues next year, whether he's assigned to Altoona or Indianapolis out of spring training um, to make a few starts or a handful of starts um, and then get called up, or he's just put on the big league roster right away. He'll, he'll pitch in the big leagues in 24. And I think that one thing that I, I didn't mention and you did was. On top of the premium stuff he has, um, it's also plus command and control and feel for all three offerings, which, mm-hmm. again, just, just adds to the allure of skeins. And then we talk about the fastball shape a little bit, and people sitting and listening might be like, you know, what the heck? Um, you know, it's, it's skeins. It, it, it is just like trying to find a hole, um, you know, in his, it, it is like a little bit just like poking holes, similar to Dylan Cruz's ground ball rate. Um, which was similarly cited, but (laughs) we can move on. Um, I think that, you know, Pittsburgh can be very excited. They have their future one starter. Yeah, they do. Beyond Skeens, it was a a pretty pitcher-heavy draft class for a farm system that's really pretty pitcher-heavy as well. They they took Tamar Johnson last year up top, but but I think a bulk of their talent in the minor leagues is on the mound. Um, Xander Muth was their kind of big signing. After saving a little bit of money, this is – kind of how the pirates seem to operate it's not a it's not a rare strategy i think it's the most common strategy in the draft at this point is to save money with your early picks and spread around later that's what the pirates did a few years ago when they had a ton of picks with henry davis one they still even though they signed skeins to one of the biggest contracts we've seen in the draft they still saved five hundred thousand on his slot they saved four excuse me saved four hundred thousand on mitch jeb's slot uh and signed xander muth for almost $700,000 over. I think maybe the one critique that I would have for the Pirates in this draft class is they were the only org in this division that did not go up to their full bonus pool. Um, They were the the second uh, lowest in terms of total bonus pool spent. Only the Mariners spent less of their bonus pool at just 98%. Um, Again, maybe you could make a case that Pittsburgh was the least aggressive in this regard because they did have the biggest bonus pool to work with. So their 5% overage is just more money to work with than any other team. Uh, so I think you could be a little bit disappointed if you're a Pirates fan that maybe they, they could have been a little bit more aggressive. And, and it's not the case with the Mariners either where you're taking a bunch of high school players early on and maybe you need to be a little bit more conservative to make sure you get the money 
to get all those guys signed. It was very college heavy as it has been uh, a few times for the Pirates now. So I, I think they probably left a little bit of money on the table here, even though just given the the overall pick volume and where they're selecting the draft, they're, they're coming away with a ton of talent here. Yeah, I agree. And and going right to their, their second overall pick in the draft in Mitch Jeb, I think that he's a really um, interesting, you know, prospect in general and a, and a little bit of a murky profile, at least defensively so far. Um, but, you know, with Jeb, it's, it's excellent, excellent bat to ball skills at, at Michigan at, excuse me, at, at Bradenton um, this summer in 34 games, it was a 90% overall contact rate with a 93% end zone contact rate. He's kind of a, I'd say a slash and dash guy. I mean, he's got, you know, a knack for, for finding a gap or shooting a ball down the line um, every now and again. But I mean, I think it's, you know, seven to 10 home run type upside max. Um, but his plus speed and, and borderline double plus speed allows him to take an extra base and turn a, Single into a double, double into a triple, um, and it's a, a little bit of an unorthodox setup. He's he's pretty you know far open and has an elbow waggle, and he just kind of flicks the barrel and 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 lets his hands work. And you know his you know the contact ability with Jeb really shines. And um, again, we've talked about I, I, it might be the theme of the day for at least some of these college guys taken by um, NL Central teams, but. Very heady player. Um, baseball IQ is above average. Um, I, I think in watching him, at least on the base paths, and it's, I, I think, a tool and an ability that gets overshined, obviously, by the flashier ones, you know, the power ability, the hitting ability. But watching him on the base paths, um, at least in the summer of 2022 and this past spring, and and even in affiliated baseball, it's it, he's really fun to watch. Um, he he kind of take and the Pirates have a, have an outstanding base running system, but he's developed um, and they teach down there kind of a walking lead um, where you can get in rhythm and, and it's been really effective. And he was 11 of 12 on stolen bases. Um, he does the walking lead. He does the jump lead. And then taking that combined with, you know, he, he picks his spots to run and, and his overall speed in general, it's a, it's a recipe for success. And he's putting the ball in play at, at an exceptional rate. And I think that, Again, defensively, they've they've worked him and and split time between second and shortstop. Um, I think that he is more of a second baseman than he is a shortstop, and I wouldn't be shocked even if they give him some run um, in the outfield eventually, where they can again just kind of let him run around a little bit, a la Chandler Simpson. Hmm. Um, I don't think he's as speedy as Chandler, Hard to um, but but you could stick him in center or left, where I think that again the speed would be enough to to cover plenty of ground and you just kind of have him let it rip with the arm. That's been a little bit inconsistent from at least shortstop. So um, I think that you're betting on a guy to, to really, really hit and and swing it well um, to kind of progress through, through the ranks. And and so far he's doing just that. Yeah. Good, good stuff on Jeb. I'm going to move down the board a little bit and go to Jaden Woods, who's a left-handed yes. pitcher out of Georgia in the seventh round. He was a really exciting player for me. I was, I was excited to see what he was going to do in 2023 he was a reliever his first two years at Georgia, moved into the starting rotation. Just a really electric, uh, athletic left-hander with a fast arm, interesting stuff, and it never really clicked for him in a starter role. The strike-throwing uh, improvement that he showed in the Cape Cod League last summer in 2022 didn't fully carry over. Um, in pro ball, the Pirates have put him back in a reliever role, and I think he was 
maybe one of the most impressive pitchers from this Pirates class. In Bradenton, he threw 14.1 innings, struck out 21 batters, and walked just three. So pretty phenomenal strikeout and walk numbers there to go along with. Uh, above average fastball, it gets into the mid-90s from the left side. I think a slurry, a slurry breaking ball that seems like plays up in that bullpen role. But just to see him shake off a bit of a down year in a starter role and, and succeed as a reliever, which is probably his his role moving forward. It just seems like for whatever reason, um, the strikes come better, the stuff plays better out of that role. But I think that's a fun pick later on day two that's also already bearing a little bit of fruit in pro ball. So even if he didn't really live up to the hype or or some exciting um, thoughts about what he could be this spring with Georgia, it's, it's good to see him performing now in a, a pretty limited uh, pro debut. Jaden Woods was a guy that I had highlighted as well, kind of, you know, for the same reason you did citing um, his encouraging performances so far professionally. Um, the command and control have really been there. 21 Ks to just three walks and in 14 innings pitch, 3-1 ERA. Um, changeups looked really good. Again, um, given, you know, who he is as a pitcher, he's a little bit on the smaller side, doesn't have premium velocity by any means. Um, the command and control and, you know, the pitch ability um, is going to have to really shine and progress for Woods. And again, it's really early. Um, they've used him strictly out of the bullpen, interestingly enough. Um, I think they're going to probably give him a chance to start um, eventually. But um, he's he's demonstrated that advanced pitch ability that he's, that he's going to need to. And then kind of jumping a little bit back, or I guess forwards, mm. I guess higher in rounds. The fourth round, Carlson Reed from West Virginia was a, was a guy that I was really excited about when they picked. Um, 6'4", 200, a lot of room to fill out. Um, just an electric arm talent. And he was used at West Virginia strictly out of the bullpen, um, struck out 60 and 30 innings. He was a guy, again, in talking with area scouts this spring, he was a te- he was a guy that, that teams really, really wanted. Mm-hmm. And um, there were, I'd say there were a handful of area guys that I talked to that had him as a potential day one pick. Um, and it is just, electric electric stuff fastball is 94 to 98 with a plus sire and a plus changeup. um again i i think that maybe his long term is out of the bullpen they've they've tried starting him um a couple times at the complex um but i, I think long term he's he's most effective out of the bullpen and then if you're looking for maybe a pick to click in the third in the, on the third day i'd say keep an eye on christian curtis from arizona state yeah he hasn't pitched a ton due to injuries, a low mileage arm, but it's electric stuff. I think just with more innings on the mound and, and getting in a player development um, department, I think that's a guy that, that you can really tap into um, and, and get a lot out of. The, it's, it's pretty loud stuff. The fastball is up to 97. It's a shorter cut slide that I think is a plus pitch. It's got some late teeth to it. It's a really good body. It's 6'4", 190. Um, moves really well. It's a quick arm. It's an upside play, obviously, but again, you sign him. Um, I think they got him for 500. So pretty over slot in the 12th round, but I think it, mm. at that point he's worth it. Cause there was some middle day two smoke on him. Yeah. Um, and I think getting him where they did is, is very, very exciting. Yeah, definitely. I think I would, I would lump in Magdale Cotto, left-handed pitcher out of Kentucky who they took in the 11th round. Didn't sign for quite as much money, but right around $200,000. He's another pitcher with really impressive stuff. Never really clicked fully in college. Uh, I mean, he had a a solid turn in the Cape Cod League where the fastball strike rate was improved, but 
never fully translated to the SEC. He bounced around at South Carolina and Kentucky. Uh, and just the performance overall was never quite as loud as, as what was coming out of his hand out of the left side. It's a huge frame, six foot four, two hundred fifty pounds. He showed good stuff at the draft combine. If he's able to put that fastball that's been up to ninety seven over the plate a little bit more, there's a hard tight slider that he has in the mid eighties. He's got a, a tumbling changeup in the mid to upper eighties. Um, probably a reliever. There's some effort and recoil in the delivery, and just given the the track record of his strikes, I don't know that you can be too confident that he can make a starting role work but uh, getting some arm talent like this and adding it to the real solid depth of pitching you have in the farm system in this draft class i think is another fun one to uh, keep an eye out for yeah absolutely and then even going back to day two i mean they got patrick riley in the fifth who Mm. i mean he's been a famous name for a while um kind of backed up a little bit i'd say at vanderbilt this year and maybe the back half of 2022 but again Big physical kid at, at you know six three two twenty or so. Um, fastball is, I, I'd say when I, I mean when I saw him this summer, it was one to four, but it was multiple fives and sixes. It was super heavy. I liked the arm action, and then the cutter was a legit plus pitch. Um, I think he struck out nineteen and ten and two thirds innings. Um, TBD if he's a if he's a starter um, next level long term. Um, I know that so far they've used him strictly out of the bullpen, which might be where he's most effective, but um, another, I, I think, exciting arm that you can be happy about just getting in your system. And then I, I think offensively, the profile of a lot of the guys that they signed, it's it's interesting, especially where the game is right now, at least at the major league level. Um, and I know that this is a deeper pull, but, you know, Kalai Harrison in the 18th, um, he's a little bit of a similar archetype to Mitch Jeb. He's a slash and dash kid. Um I mean, slash and dash approach at the plate, smaller kid at just 5'11", 180. Um, not going to hit for much power, but it's advanced feel for the barrel. Um, it, I'd say a, a rather above average hit tool. Um, the approach is really, really solid. And I think that defensively, he can really pick it. Um, I saw him at shortstop this past summer um, where he more than held his own, but I think he can be a legit plus defender. Um, over at second base, which I, I think is where they're going to end up using him long term. Um, but again, 18th rounder, um, 21 years old, he's going to have to, you know, rake. Um, which I, I, I'm not going to write it off just yet. I, I what I saw this summer was really encouraging. It's mm. short swing. Um, again, feel for the barrel, which is um, always a positive trait, but an interesting offensive archetype that I think that the pirates went with. And even like going back to the third with Garrett Forrester, it's hit over power. It's an approach oriented Mm. um, profile. So um, intriguing bats, but I think the, the arms obviously carry this draft class. Yeah, it is. It's interesting to think about like what the pirates have kind of been doing lately. I think it's more popular and, and maybe a little bit more exciting for fans to start the rebuild around hitters like like Baltimore has really found a lot of success doing in recent years. But I think it's interesting for the pirates to build around pitching and especially to kind of cap this draft off with a guy like Paul Skeens, because if you don't think you're going to compete on the free agent market for these elite pitchers, I, I do think pitching is probably the most difficult and most expensive position to acquire for your team so if you're you're in a small market you know you're not going to be playing in the maybe elite tiers of free agency for arms like you got to develop those arms yourself and to develop pitching you basically just have to select a bunch of pitchers 
and hope a few break through because pitching development is so kind of volatile and just the, the health of pitchers is so crazy. So I don't really mind the strategy. Uh, and there's certainly a lot of talent they're layering, layering onto the, the pitching of this farm system. So we'll see what happens. Hopefully Paul Skeens next year can uh, move quickly to the big leagues like we all expect. He'll be a blast to watch. But um, th- there's there's Pittsburgh for us. Let's move on to St. Louis. Um, a bit of a weird year for the Cardinals. It's it's not common we see them have a losing season. Next year we'll be able to see them draft uh, sooner than they really have, it feels like, in my entire uh, life. Uh, but this year they picked 21 uh, in the first round. They took Chase Davis, an outfielder out of Arizona, with their first-round pick. They did not have a second-round pick in the third round. They stuck with the college outfielder demographic and took Travis Honeyman. In the fourth round, they took left-handed pitcher Quinn Matthews out of Stanford. And then in the fifth round, they stuck to the college demographic, and they stuck to the college outfield demographic, and they took Zach Levinson. Um, So it has been very college-heavy for the Cardinals. Uh, Actually, I don't think they signed a single high school player in this draft. They took one high school player in the 20th round. That was Cameron Johnson, who Peter broke down uh, very effectively the other day. He's going to be going to college. He's getting to LSU. There was no chance they were signing him in the 20th. Uh, But, yeah, this has got to be a draft you love, Peter. It's straight college players, and they gave you Cameron Johnson at LSU to cover next year. (laughs) Exactly. I can't can't imagine you are uh, too mad at the Cardinals for this one. Yeah, no, 19 for 20 and signing, 20 for 20 in in me and guys that I can and we can talk about. Um, (laughs) But starting at Davis at the top, like super, super famous name at a high school, um, had a strong 2022 campaign at Arizona that, I think solidified himself as at least a top three round pick and then exploded this year um, to the tune of a 362 average, um, 17 doubles and 21 home runs, um, walked more than he struck out, which was probably the most impressive part of his game was yep. I think the strides that his approach took. Um, the, uh, like with Chase Davis, like with word association, you're going to think at least with the swing, it's almost a carbon copy of, of Carlos Gonzalez. Um, it is just a majestic left-handed swing. He also wears number five like Carlos did. Um, it's plus raw power. He hit some of the most, I think, breathtaking, perhaps aided by the camera angle, a little bit of the Pac-12 <laughs> network. But, I mean, he hit some big-time, big-time home runs in big moments too. Um, he's a swaggy player. He's got a, a, an above-average throwing arm where he's, a, I, I think, a, a decent defender. Um, they've, they've actually used him in center um, oh. in Palm Beach so far, which is – rather interesting i think he ends up probably in right field long term um which is where the arm's going to really play um i think that he's a decent enough athlete where he'll stick there too but Hmm. again with davis the it's the the raw power is the calling card um the approach has been fine so far in professional baseball he's just not hitting a ton yet which is not really much of a concern through 34 games he's he's got just six doubles hasn't hit a home run yet Hmm. um but i think that um, just long term, it's that's someone to be really, really excited about, and I I feel pretty confident um, in the ability for him in his ability to pick it up. I think that guys are just so gassed after college seasons. Mm-hmm. And Chase Davis feels like a player that that both people who are maybe more analytically oriented or more uh, old school in their kind of traditional scouting tools, which, whichever your preference is, I feel like both um, both camps can can really like Davis a lot because. He is an impressive athlete. He has the physicality. He has the arm strength. He has the raw power. 
Uh, and his his bat of ball data and his contact ability this spring was really loud as well. I mean, he hit the ball hard. You mentioned the improvements to his strikeout rate. That was really always the concern with Chase Davis going back to high school. Uh, the swing decisions he made, the overall contact ability, and he addressed those questions this spring, and that's why he got picked in the first round at, at number 21 overall. I thought uh, he probably should have gone higher than Nolan Shanuel did, just given the, the tools and the profile. Um, that didn't happen, but but I think both those guys going in the middle of the first round like speaks to how impressive their just performance was uh, during the 2023 season. So we start out with Davis. Let's move on to Travis Honeyman and Quinn Matthews. Obviously, you're a Boston College guy, so does that make you a Travis Honeyman guy as well? <laughs> I'm a BC football guy for college baseball. I'm a fan of zero teams. I'm, I'm as, I'm <laughs> as unbiased as come. <laughs> no, but, professional. Yeah, no, with Honeyman, um, really, I, I think I, I like the pick, getting him 90th overall. There was obviously day one buzz with him. I think that um, if he was able to stay healthy um, both this year and just in general throughout the, his, his college career, it would have – helped him i think that you know there are some questions about the durability um but he he's a really exciting player super twitchy kid um good athlete and a good runner um i i think he showed well in center field um for bc and obviously in in the summertime for orleans um i i wonder if he might end up in left field long term um which is a little bit of a ding in the profile but hmm. i'm sure that at least at the start he'll get some run in center at the very least right um, the exit velocities with Honeyman are super, super impressive. It's a, it's a wiry athletic frame that you can, you know, you can be excited about with, I think the physical potential there. Um, and then obviously just, you know, what he is now. Um, and he's, I, I think he's an above average runner, you know, typical kind of long Island gritty kid. Um, I, again, getting him in the third, um, where they did, I think that they can be excited about it for you know seven hundred thousand, where he was getting uh, middle of day one buzz. I think that the upside here with Honeyman um, is rather exciting. There's a chance for let's say, I, I think you know three legit plus tools down the line. Mm. Yeah, well, as we're talking through this Cardinals draft, I think that one of the most interesting things about their draft actually is how they kind of played it financially. More than any other team, they played things pretty straight up. Maybe that's kind of what happens when you're super college heavy and they haven't signed a high school player. I think you have to go back to um, Joshua Baez in 2021. That's the last high school player they've selected and signed, I believe. Last year, they they also went straight college players. Um, So it's college heavy, but they had trying to find out where i had this again four of their first 10 picks were slot deals chase davis zach levinson jason Savakul, charles harrison all signed exactly for slot and then the furthest away from slot they got on anyone was fifty nine thousand six hundred for honeyman um and then over slot fifty eight thousand three hundred for quinn matthews so they they didn't have any crazy financial gimmicks and games and i appreciate that because most teams just don't so just the variety of draft strategy is interesting to me. I also like the fact that they got Quinn Matthews here in the fourth round, just given the lack of college left-handed pitchers in this class, given the season that he had, I like that pick quite a bit. Yeah, absolutely. With Matthews, again, it's older finished product type, but I think with the the track record that he has at Stanford, hmm. um, you know, you can obviously be excited yeah and the, what's going to happen with uh next year's pac 12 pitcher of the year might not have one right, right exactly so i mean 
Pac-12 pitcher of the year. I know that again, even though he was older, there was there was some late day one buzz with Matthews. Um, the fastball again, it's really ninety to ninety three. The calling card with him is a plus changeup and an above average borderline plus slider. Um, I think he's going to be a really effective fifth starter. Um, high mileage arm, uh, the mound presence I think is really unique. Um, he really doesn't care, and I say that in the most positive and glowing way possible. Like he could not care any less who's in the other box. Um, it's a very level-headed, steady heartbeat type guy. Um, no lights are too bright. No stage is too big. Um, I think that he is someone that you can feel pretty comfortable about progressing reasonably quick and that you can push pretty quick um, through your system. And I think that, again, he's got a chance to be a really quality fourth, probably fifth starter um, at the big league level. 6'5 left-hander, some natural deception in the delivery. Hmm. Um, I mentioned the ability to turn over the changeup. It had a 50% miss rate um, this spring at Stanford. And then the slider, again, it's especially effective against left-handed hitters, um, but it's above average borderline plus. So, um, again, you get him in the fourth for, for 600K, I think, especially on top of, you know, who Quinn is as a pitcher, mm. um, the lack of college lefties and polished college lefties. Um, I was a, I was a big fan of this pick. Yeah. They took Zach Lev- Levinson next, and then they went on a run of college pitchers that Jason Savicool in the sixth out of Maryland, Charles Harrison in the seventh out of UCLA, Ixon Henderson, a left-handed pitcher out of Fresno state, and then Christian Worley, right-handed pitcher out of Virginia tech. Which of these pitchers are you intrigued by? And then I guess, we, we probably need to mention the fact that Caden Kendall, their 10th rounder, he was the only player selected among the top 10 rounds to not sign. Uh, that was a bit of an odd one. It, it seemed like they had agreed to a deal, and then uh, Kendall wanted to return to school after that. Uh, so, so kind of an odd situation, and it's not typical that you don't sign top 10 round guys. I think the percentage is something like 97-plus percent of players selected in, in the top 10 rounds sign. Um, so kind of a bummer that, that the Cardinals are one of the teams that didn't get their full top 10 guys signed. Uh, but yeah, what are your thoughts on this collection of, of arms and the Kendall uh, situation? Yeah, so the Kendall one is obviously unique. I mean, you like top 10 round guys that are selected at a college typically don't go back to school. Um, Brock Rodden in 2022 was a name that comes to mind. Um, and it actually served him well. He improved his stock um, mightily. But an interesting collection of college arms here. I don't think that there's like you know, a ton, a ton of upside necessarily here. Um, I I think Exxon Henderson in the eighth round is someone that piqued my interest a little bit as one of the more diamond in the rough guys. Obviously, Savicool at Maryland is a bigger name. Um, You know, big time, one of the better arms in the Big Ten. Um, But with Henderson, it's a consistent track record of performance at Fresno. Um, He started his whole career. It was 100 Ks and 89 innings pitched this year with a 370 RA. Um, similar to Matthews, um, it's 90 to 93 with the fastball, um, but an effective slider changeup combination and also mix in a bigger curveball. Um, there's, I think above average strike throwing ability. I know in, and again, just three and two thirds, he walked four, um, in Palm beach, but again, he's just kind of, you know, keeping his arm hot with these four, one less than one inning appearances, um, in affiliated baseball, I think. Again, when you're kind of looking at the archetype and profile in this year's draft that, you know, there weren't a lot of, it's college left-handed pitchers and especially those 
um, with some polish. And Henderson also fits that mold like Matthew does, like Matthews does. Mm-hmm. And while I don't think he's as advanced on the pitch ability side, um, I think that there is enough stuff there for him to be effective um, and to be a, a decent starter long term. So he's someone that I've got circled again. And similar to Matthews, you can kind of push him reasonably fast um, through the ranks. Yeah, and then day three, a couple guys who I thought were interesting. I liked Trey Richardson quite a bit when I saw him with Texas Christian. They selected him as a shortstop, interesting older player. And then Braden Jobert uh, in the 12th round, LSU outfielder. He was a very streaky hitter uh, this this season, but he also has pretty impressive raw power, especially to the pull side when he's able to connect. Not sure how much contact he's going to make in pro ball. Um, but on day three, I think the, the power there from the left-handed side is fascinating. Are there any day three names that you think people should be aware of or that you like here? I'm going to stick with you on Trey Richardson. Um, and I know it's going to be a little bit redundant, but kind of how you saw him play in person early in the season, mm. um, we kind of bookended it a little bit. Um, I was <laughs> very excited and impressed with what I saw um, in Omaha. And again, there's not a ton there for projection or upside, but I just really liked how I just really liked watching him play, and he was a fun player to watch. It's funny when you get players like that. Like I'm not sure if everyone thought this about Trey Richardson, but he he is a guy that just for whatever reason you keep coming back to and you keep finding yourself liking. Like he hit 311, 392, 452. I don't think it's a ton of power. It's going to be more doubles than homers. He runs well. I, for me, he played good defense. I know there's been some kind of split opinions on his defense, but um, he, he's very fun one to me and. Like the fact that you're getting a senior like this in, in this round, I think is perfectly fine and exciting. I completely, yeah, exactly. And I think for the player who that Trey is combined with the fact, you know, that he's older, getting him in the 15th um, is a really good spot for him. And I was impressed again in Omaha. He's a, he's a very fun player to watch. He plays animated. He plays really hard. He's a dirt dog um, defensively at second base. Um, I know I, the arm strength isn't really there, which I know isn't, of I, I think paramount importance at second base, but I mean you still want to have some arm strength. Obviously, I think that that isn't quite there for Richardson, but I saw impressive range to the glove side. Um, he moves well up the middle. I think that he's an above average runner. Um, and again, I saw some field to hit. Like you said, it's going to be doubles over home runs. Um, but he had he has a knack for for putting a ball down the line every now and again or in a gap. And I think at the very least, um, he's going to have some infectious energy and and play style that is going to rub off on guys that he shares a dugout with, which, um, you know, is, a I think, an overlooked and underrated quality. So a nice day three pick. Yeah. And, and once again, I'll just hammer home that we need to have these teams stop selecting players as shortstops who are not shortstops. Trey Richardson played second base pretty much the whole year. He's played second base in pro ball. Why was he selected as a shortstop? We have so many of these guys. So. They selected him as a shortstop. We have him as a short listed as a shortstop, so <laughs> it's it's pulled straight from from where they. I was going to say, yeah. I'll, I'll check the draft tracker just to make sure it's not some weird data bug. But I, I feel like there are a number of players who have kind of met that that qualification. Let me let me double check here um, with MLB's draft tracker. There's list second base which makes way more sense to me. And now I'm wondering if we have some sort of issue with where's ours is pulling from, because he definitely was not a shortstop <laughs> either way. No, not at all. But yeah. I, while you talk about, um, or while we try and discover the Trey Richardson um, <laughs> position, there's a, 
uh, a community college juco arm that was selected in the 18th that's a pretty deep sleeper and a deeper pull um it's hunter kublik from umqua community college um six four kid um 200 pounds he just turned 20 years old um he performed really well at his juco as one would expect struck out 44 and 39 innings um i i'm gonna be honest and say i don't know too too much about him um but again you're kind of looking for these deep sleepers um on day three and um, at least on the arm side, I think that you know he'll be someone to circle. They signed him for for one fifty. So now we have. Uh, thank you for the notice on this player. Sorry to jump back in with more Trey Richardson positional drama. MLB <laughs> ML, the MLB draft tracker, which is what officially sends players out when they're selected, has him listed as a shortstop. Huh. So uh, <laughs> I really need an answer to all this. Maybe maybe it's just like. They thought maybe they would try him at shortstop, and he just hasn't got the opportunity yet. So why don't you? I mean, it's not super uncommon. Like, I think Spencer Torkelson was even selected as a third baseman um, when when everyone kind of knew he was a first baseman. So it doesn't really matter. It's more of just a personal pet peeve. But overall, Cardinals class thoughts on that, Peter? I think it's. I don't love the straight college strategy that's happened back-to-back years. I, I wish there was a little bit more upside here, but I find myself kind of liking a lot of the players, although I don't know if I really love any of them. So I think it's it's playing it safe a little bit, um, although the Cardinals, they do a great job with player development, so maybe they just need to get these sort of profiles and they can wind up with a lot of productive big leaguers. Who knows? Yeah. Um, again, I, I think I'm probably at least when talking about maybe a divisional winner for the draft class, I think I got to give it to either the the Cubs or the Reds. Hmm. Um, maybe leaning Red. Eh, I, I, I I think I lean Cubs here. Yeah. Um, but then one more guy for the at least the Cardinals that that I forgot to mention, top five round pick out of Miami is Zach Levinson. It's thunderous bat speed. He's got a super super explosive operation. Um. And it's it's the the exit velos are are super super impressive. Um, there were multiple at Miami this year that were one ten plus. Um, he gets the ball up in the air consistently. Um, I I like him a lot, especially the potential at the plate, the power potential, and it's showed early on. I think he's got. I think he hit six home runs in Palm Beach again in a relatively, you know, small game sample size. Mm-hmm. Um, so the power and the impact is going to be the carrying tool here. But he's a good looking body. Um, some physicality present, but again, he, he hammers the baseball and it's, it's legit plus power. Well, there you go. There's my upside. You, you've answered that question for me with the card. <laughs> I think, uh, I think I would agree with you though. I, I found myself really liking the Reds draft the day of, I mean, Sammy Stiffer's pro debut doesn't really help that cause, but there's still enough players that I really find myself liking in that draft class that, that I'll probably lean towards that one. Um, but as always, there, there are players to like in each of these draft classes, depending on your, your uh, tendencies, your your philosophy as a, an evaluator, or your preferences for player profiles. So this was fun, Peter. Oh, yeah, as always. This was a blast. So, again, hopefully hopefully, I get Ronnie Acuna tonight uh, hitting 40 in person. Um, outside of that, we have our draft report card series that's kind of on the horizon. Just sent out those surveys to scouting directors. So if you want even more draft reviews, you can get some some insight from the actual scouting departments themselves once those start rolling, I think probably either late September, late this month, or um, throughout October, we'll, we'll be putting them out as well. So keep an eye out for that uh, from me. Anything that, that you want to plug that you're working on outside of the uh, 
the awesome freshman spotlight series that you've been doing? Yeah, I mean, we've got this weekly podcast that next week we'll wrap up the divisional recaps with the NL West um, before jumping into the 2024 class. And then twice a week, just going to be putting out freshman spotlights on guys that had obviously significant draft interest and made it to campus. And then also guys that at least early on in the fall are carving out meaningful roles for each other for, for themselves, excuse me. Um, Mm -hmm. So uh, I'll be doing that twice a week. And then um, we're kind of getting heavily into the fall practice cycle where, you know, you can kind of draft up fall notes on some of these teams. So um, exciting times on the horizon. I'm excited to get back um, more, more of a fast paced style. (laughs) Yeah, tired of all this downtime that you've had. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, for Peter, I'm Carlos. Thank you for listening, everybody. We appreciate it. Thanks for supporting BA in general. Uh, hope you guys have a great weekend, and we will see you next time. Take care. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.